Thank you for listening to this sermon from Arapahoe Road Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the teaching of our special guest from this past weekend. For more information about our church and its ministries, please visit arapahoroad.org. And now, here's the sermon from this past weekend. I love how Psalm 19 starts out, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. And uh, Psalm, one night, uh, Psalm 19 was done. That was one of our favorite authors, yes. uh, favorite theologians, favorite Christians. If you can have a favorite Christian, C.S. Lewis is one of ours. And that was his favorite psalm. And uh, Don, when I, when I think about Psalm 19 and, and how it starts off about the heavens declaring uh, what God's handiwork is and his glory and, and whatnot, I, I often, it's not too, too long afterwards that I think about my friendship with you and how grateful I am that the Lord has allowed us to uh, get to know one, and know, yeah. uh, one another over the last decade and your family and just uh, you having the, the skills God's put in you to be an amazing landscape artist. And as Dan was talking about earlier, you're a great seer, meaning you see things and you help other people see maybe what they don't see at first glance. And so uh, I really appreciate that about you. I appreciate you being the artist in residence here at Arapahoe Road Baptist Church. And I'm so excited about what uh, the Lord's put on your heart. Uh, Dawn uh, has just a deep walk with the Lord, uh, a deep walk with her husband Kendrick, who's one of our elders here. I was sharing with uh, Dawn when she and I met this past week and just kind of, okay, let's, let's touch base again. Let's make sure we're on the same page. And, and I shared with you, uh, you know, when it comes to, to your husband Kendrick, one of our elders, I always feel like we're doing what God wants us to do whenever we've talked about whatever we're talking about. And I, I hear from Kendrick, okay, I'm, that's about it. That's, I mean, very matter of fact, it's going through his computer mind. And it's like, yes, that, I've seen that. I'm tracking there. And so how the Lord has paired you two together. Okay. Uh, so different and so perfect for, for one another. It was such a fun time this summer when we uh, got to be together uh, with your family and our family and some other families in Alaska and, and serve together and just getting to see the, the faith mm -hmm. in your, your, your girls grow and serve alongside them. And, and I remember just standing in Alaska going, I'm in the presence of what's happening right now <laughs> And God is inspiring great landscape art that's going to come forth and, and just being able to look at the beauty there. And I know we've had a few moments even in Alaska to, to just go, okay, what are you seeing here? What are you, what are you looking at? Uh, and so it's just been so much fun. And I've really looked forward to this morning because as we've talked together about what God's been putting on your heart, uh, you went to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, it's a long book. It's a hard book uh, because it's a hard message that, that God gives uh, this, this man. He's known as the weeping prophet because he just weeps for a nation that has really turned away from God. And God has seen fit to use Jeremiah and his voice to, to say some hard things to a people that God longs to return to him. Listen what it says in the very first part of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 5. God speaking, and it said, Now the, the, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born... I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. The plans God had for Jeremiah. And when we think of Jeremiah, we were talking earlier, that's probably a, a verse out of the Bible, maybe besides John 3.16, that more people quote or run to or have on a bumper sticker or maybe on a, 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 a magnet on the refrigerator in, in Jeremiah 29.11, 
Or he said, man, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And we're all like, yeah, amen. But if we take a step back, that was said in a really hard day, in a difficult and dark time in Israel's history. But he's also speaking a word of hope. And I, I think about Jeremiah. I think, you know, in my, in my Bible, I have marked in Jeremiah 20, verse 9, out in the column, July 1989. It says, if I say I will not mention him or speak anymore in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary with holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. You go, know, why do you have July 1989 written out beside that? Because that was the verse that our camp pastor back in 1989 preached on throughout the week. The first youth camp I ever went to, Louis Giglio was our camp pastor, and he preached on freeing the fire. And man, I have connected with that message, and I've gone back to it so many times over the last 30 years. And so the words of Jeremiah <laughs> that God put in his mouth from before he was even in the womb and spoke out to a people that needed to hear him, they continue to echo. They echo in my life. I know just from our conversation, they've been echoing in your life. And I'm so excited, Don, about what you're going to share today and help us to see some things that maybe we haven't seen before. And you do that certainly through the word. You do that through some of your art. You'll share some of the significance about that. And so, friends, we're in for a real treat today. Uh, I pray that you would open your hearts and your lives and ask God to speak to you that we might hear from his servant, Don, today. So, Don, thanks for being here. Thanks for being willing to share with us, to lead us today. I look forward to sitting under your teaching and just for the Lord to speak to me. So would you help me to welcome Don Waters Baker. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like Pastor David's got the fire too. And I think uh, this book, we could spend so long on it. And I, I promise I won't. But I, I have to tell you, as I was preparing for this, I found myself just shaky, and that's always a good sign to me because God's got something stirring in me, um, and I just want to impart that to people that I love. This is my precious family, my church family, and I love each one of you and those who are watching, some of those watching today. I, I do want to say a special thank you to my sweet mother who's here over 50 years of serving the Lord um, as a pastor's wife and missionary's wife and now a missionary on her own. And, um, and uh, thank you, Mom, for being here. And to my sweet friend Nathan Fan is here. He's graduate from DTS um, and also an exquisite artist. He would love to show you his art, or I would love to show you his art after church. So thank you for coming today. Um, all right, well, guys, I just want to start with Jeremiah, and I'm going to have to give you just a bird's eye view over the book because it's going to it would take way too long for us to delve right in, but. Just let's go through the Lord's faithful love, the word hesed, which is hard to pronounce in Hebrew, but it is a word hard to translate in English. Uh, some have used the word loving kindness, um, and m most people land on the faithful love of God, the faithful love of God, but it encapsulates so much, that word hesed. Um, and I think you'll see that Jeremiah's whole life talks about that hesed love. Um, he's called as a young teenager. You can go to the next slide. Um, and I love this image of Jeremiah, I will say, because it's, I looked for images of Jeremiah. By the way, not many paintings painted of Jeremiah. Um, I think that's interesting. Um, but this, he's, he's, he was enslaved by his own people. Um, and if you'll notice the child and the, widow, the, the mother um, at, uh, surrounding him in the rubble. Um, and as we know, uh, maybe you don't know, but... Uh, Babylon had uh, come and taken uh, the Israel, uh, Judah, into captivity. Um, and it, Jeremiah has called it a, as a young age, as a teenager. Scholars believe he was about 13 or 14. 
Um, some even say 12. That's the age of my twins. I think about God calling a teenager at such a young age to say, you're going to be my prophet. You're going to say some really hard things to people who don't ever want to hear what you have to say. Um, he will be a prophet uh, for over 40 years. Um, some say he would live into his 70s. Um, but he goes through five kings. <laughs> That gives you an idea of five kings. The first one he lives under, Josiah is a good king, but the rest of them are terrible. Um, and he will come from a small town, Anathoth. Have you ever heard of Anathoth? I'd never heard of Anathoth in my life until I was looking at Jeremiah. It's a little southeast, uh, sorry, northeast of um, Jerusalem. And he comes from a small tribe, the, the smallest tribe of Benjamin. So small town, small tribe. Um, and he has a very, very difficult life prophesize things that people don't want to hear. Already said that. He's, he's persecuted, he's imprisoned, and he's thrown into a well. When the siege of Jerusalem is going on, he's, he's in a courtyard imprisoned there, but he also hears and sees the tragedy going on around him. Um, he watches his own people starve, and it's more than just starving. It's a sense of, of entire culture and the way of the temple his beloved land, yeah, all of that lost, and he gets to stay in the rubble. Um, he never marries. The Lord commands him to never marry. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, wow, I'd like that command. But my kids say that to me. I'm never going to get married. But he is alone. He has about four friends his whole life. One of them is a Gentile, by the way. Um, and you can imagine um, how alone uh, Jeremiah felt at times. But I want you to see one of his themes in his life is, God has me. God has you. And maybe you don't know that until you're told to be alone. He witnesses the siege of Jerusalem, and he becomes more than just a weeping prophet, which I sort of pick on that a little bit, because he's more than just a weeping prophet. He's a compassionate man. Why would God call a man who has such a soft heart to see such horrific things and to say something because perhaps the world needs soft I think the world needs soft right now okay and um, he was not important enough to take into exile you remember Daniel Daniel was like good looking and smart and um, all these other people got to be taken into exile but not Jeremiah Jeremiah got to be left with all the rest of the nobodies and I think about that sometimes, when you think life has passed you over, when our church is not seeming to go anywhere, when, Lord, we're here, did you forget? Jeremiah stayed. And there's even a portion in scripture where Nebuchadnezzar likes him and says, would you like to come? And you can live kind of cozy here in Babylon. And Jeremiah chooses to stay in the rubble. So, why am I telling you all this? <laughs> because I felt like this was the story God was giving us to, giving me, I should say me, in my life to look at as I walk through um, chapters of Jeremiah. I was also um, encouraged by Pastor David to read Eugene Peterson's um, Running with Horses. And I can't um, recommend that to you enough. It was a beautiful book. And Pastor David even lent me his book, and I just could not stand it because I couldn't <laughs> mark in it. So I gave it back to him, and I got my own copy. Um, and I just say that with you, it's not, a, it's not a hard read, is it, Pastor David? It's not a hard read. It's, it's a read worth reading. You know, there's some of those that are just for entertainment. This is worth reading. Um, I want to show you some art by a woman named Kathy Kelwitz, and she was a German artist. Um, she lost some siblings at a young age, and then later in World War I lost one of her sons. Uh, she was, uh, went through World War II, but was uh, told by the Nazis that she could not teach art because she liked teaching Jews. Um, so she died quickly after World War II. Her theme, her main theme of art, was on mothers, the mothers after war. And she lived through two of them. 
she had a very rough time in her life, but she never gave up this idea of seeing through a mother's eyes. And if you're like me, seeing some of these pictures of the refugee mothers holding up their babies for our soldiers to take has really racked my heart. Uh, this is a beautiful picture, I think a print, of uh, the mothers holding their children. And even see the hands, no, no, don't come, please don't take, don't hurt my children. It's wrapped in a circle form. Um, and then the next one, I think, is quite powerful uh, painting that she did. Uh, you can see this woman looking for her dead son. This is his head. Uh, base and she's got a light looking on the battlefield for him. She has no news of what's happened to him. And you might think, Don, this is a very dreary thing to say to me today. Thanks so much for bringing up these rough things to look at. Yes, I know, I know. There's, there's Don. But let me read Lamentations. Lamentations, okay, for the lament of, Jer of Jeremiah, the lament of the people. Here in, in chapter 3, verse 49 to 51. My eyes will flow unceasingly without relief until the Lord looks down from heaven and sees. What I see brings grief to my soul because all the women of my city. And Jeremiah has to witness war up close and personal to the most weakest. And when I say weak, I don't mean weak as in they're weakling people. I mean, weak is the strength to our children and our women. So the next slide, I want you to know when Jeremiah begins his, his teenage call, God says, see something first. The very first thing to see. And the very first thing he's supposed to see is the almond blossom. And if you're like me, you're like, what's an almond blossom? So I had to look it up and kind of get into it. And I just got so excited because, you know, as a landscape artist, I love that kind of stuff. Um, the almond blossom is the first to bloom in Palestine. And it has these beautiful white blooms. Even when it's still chilly outside, it will bloom. This beautiful tree comes alive and white. And why would God say, look at the almond blossom? because he's talking about his hesed love, his hesed love. Jeremiah would see these for the rest of his life. He would see every spring, the almond blossom would be the first to bloom. Why is that important? Because God has life. I have it. Beauty is mine. I will restore. I will bring it back to life. You just wait and see. Okay? Um, guys, think about this. This is kind of cool to me. Our earth is tilted just exactly right so that we have seasons. And the earth, the, the soil itself has to warm to such a degree so that earthworms come up from down deep. They come up to the surface in spring. And what happens when the worms come out? The birds come back. They know where the feed and when the birds come back, the flowers come back, and the growth comes back, and the beauty and the songs come back. Guys, that's not just a happenstance bang that happened. That's ordered faithfulness. That's the ordered faithfulness of God. Every spring, as we even look right now in our wintering, we look at the bones of the trees, what I like to call the beautiful design, the shape. I know... Um, they're going to leaf out. Just like God's going to be faithful to you. Let your plants talk to you about how God is faithful. God is faithful. And guys, why would God give him a visual of, first of all, the almond blossom and then a boiling pot? These are the two things. The boiling pot of water is poured out as a, a judgment, a condemnation. Um, I want to kind of wrestle with you a little bit what kind of story we're in right now. God is writing a story, right? Always writing a story. We are not in the story of a conquering nation. We like to think of ourselves, I think sometimes, as Joshua going into the land and we're going to conquer and clean it out. And I'm going to take the land and it's mine. 
And by the way, there's nothing wrong with Joshua. Joshua's awesome. Be, be courageous. Take the land. Go in and do it, even when you're weak. Uh, that is a good story. But I would like to touch on the fact that maybe, if you could go with me, we're in more of a story of the people in exile who are called to love and to make homes with people that we don't want to be with. And you'll say to me, well, Don, I'm not in exile. I, this is my home. But I want to just push back and say, is it? Is this our home? Is this our true country? Uh, as this character in the, in the Chronicles of Narnia books, in the very last book, which is called The Last Battle, there's a character in the story named Jewel, and she's a unicorn. And she gives her life fighting for Nar Narnia and the good king, and she dies in the process. She gets to heaven, and she says, first thing, this is my country. This is where I belong. And guys, when we go, when we are in our real home, you won't miss this. <laughs> You'll think, this is where I fit. I perfectly fit here. It's as if it knew me. <laughs> I was fully known in this context. Don't you long for that? I do. So we are a people who living in exile. And we are asked to live among those who don't know God and to love them well. Um, and Pastor David encouraged me. I, I was a little bit timid about sharing. Just a plot line with you real quick. Many of you have watched the movie God's Not Dead. Have you watched that movie? Anybody? Okay. I just want to push back against the plot line of that movie for just a minute, if you've seen it. So how we, here we have a story of a, a student going to a class where he's forced to sign something that he doesn't believe about evolution. And he's given 20 minutes, 30 minutes every class to argue his side of it, right? And every class he has these points he makes. Um, what happens to the teacher through the process is we learn that his mother didn't get well when he prayed for her healing. His girlfriend is a Christian, but he doesn't, he makes fun of it. Um, later in the story, on the way to a concert, some pastors meet him and he's hit by a car and he's about to die. And they bring him to salvation. And then at the end of the movie, they all go to a concert where we talk about God roaring like a lion, <laughs> okay? And nothing wrong with singing about roaring like a lion. I love Aslan too. <laughs> but it's a story, guys, of we win at the end. We win. Was the teacher ever loved in that whole movie? Really loved? Really broken for? Was the point to just get him saved? Was the point to love him where he was at? Okay? So let me ask this. We're not in a God's not dead story. We're in the story of Jesus carrying his cross to Calvary. And we are to be like Christ in this culture. Every story is the cross story after all, right? Okay. So you can go to the next slide. So let me just give you some parallels, I think, to our own culture. I think you'll find this is very true. Pride and greed. Hmm. The Israelites got wealthy and strong and started to believe it was because of them that they were great. Sound familiar? <laughs> The people were in idolatry, and I just want to stop right there and just touch on that real quick. We all know um, that the idolatry had to do with having other gods before them, but guys, they spread their shame in all the high places. And we all know we live in a very sexualized culture. It is everything is seen, and it's right there at our fingertips. The idolatry was wrapped in it. It was enticed by it. It was glamorized by it. People were steeped in military alliances protecting their power. Well, we, we better make a deal with Egypt because if we make a deal with Egypt, maybe we can get out from under Babylon. That'll be okay. So it's funny how the Israelites always want to go back to Egypt. 
Jeremiah 7, 31, and then let me just read it to you. This is God speaking through Jeremiah. They have built high places of Topheth in the valley of Ben-Hinnom to burn their sons and daughters in the fire, something I did not command, nor did it ever enter my mind. And we know that Manasseh, their king, the king of Israel, he literally burned his son in the fire to Molech. So God says, that never even entered my mind when you were to worship me. Never would it enter my mind for you to do such a thing. But our culture is always asking for our children. It's always saying, yes, give them. Our culture, let me just put in there, the devil himself wants our children. Judge a nation on how it treats its children and its women and its poor. And I say that again. Judge a nation based on how it treats its women and its children and its poor. Okay. You can go to the next slide. So this has been brought to me. This is the Kintsugi. And one of my mentors, Makoto Fujimura, wrote a beautiful book called Art and Faith. And in his book, he calls it Kintsugi Theology. And let me just talk to you about that because Jeremiah is asked to go to the potter's house and watch a pot get made and then it, it, it is, uh, collapses and it has to be remade again. And I want to talk about how we are formed and then we are reformed. We are formed and then we are reformed. Um, in the Kintsugi, this is an ancient Japanese form, um, these... These bowls would break and be held in shards for hundreds of years in families. Can you imagine holding shards of pottery that long? And then the kintsugi master, he would take the shards to the kintsugi master and he would fill the cracks with gold and then give it back to you. And the pot would become even more valuable than when it began because it was filled with gold. Guys, we are broken people in need of being reformed. Let me give you a quote from Eugene Peterson. He says, we live in a culture where image is everything and substance nothing. God will remake us into substance. God will remake us into substance. Yeah. So the cracks are filled with gold and we become more valuable than we were before. Mm. Let me ask you two questions. And I, these are maybe kind of deep, so I'll go slow. What has God allowed to be broken so that he alone can put them back together? What has God allowed to be broken so that he alone can put it back together? So that when I talk to people about it later, I can say, I didn't do it. Look what God did. Let me show you my scar. Let me show you the gold. And the second one, what scars or cracks are you willing to show so that God's grace is known? I know in the church culture sometimes, and this happens to the Pharisees and Sadducees, unfortunately, we like to look pretty perfect and put together. We like to say, everything's fine. God is good. Yes, let's keep singing. We're fine. And there's nothing wrong with singing when you're in a sad place too. Right? What cracks are you willing to show so that God's grace is known? And guys, what I'm sharing about that is there's a culture that needs to know they can relate to us that we know what it's like to be broken people, that we know what it's like to feel pain and hurt. So, but the only difference between them and us is that God's filled those cracks. And boy, would I like you to know about him. He's great. He helps. He helps. Now, let me show you some modern art. Okay, this is ancient, but this is new. 
This is called Shibboleth by uh, Doris Salcedo. She's an, uh, a Colombian artist, a, a modern artist. You can look her up later if you're interested. Some people think of modern art as the devil. It's not. But uh, she did this in the Tate Modern. The Tate Modern is in London. Um, and she was given this entire uh, foyer of the Tate Modern, which is, by the way, a huge, huge honor. Uh, she cracked... <laughs> the floor of the entire tape. You can go to the next slide and see kind of a bird's eye view of that crack. Um, and it went all across the front. And people would walk over it, uh, beside it. As a matter of fact, they put signs everywhere warning people, be careful, there's a crack in there. Yet there were people on their phones who literally tripped and fell because they were too distracted on their phone. Does that say something? <sighs> So why am I talking so much about cracks and fissures and places like this with the Kintsugi bowl and with the shibboleth? Hmm. Because, guys, we are a cracked nation. We are a cracked world. We've got lots of cracks between people. We've got racial tensions. We've got church tensions over masks, of all things. We've got things going on between families. And, guys, again, exile... We are a people in exile, being where we don't want to be with people we don't want to be with. And God, would you come on and get it right now? Get us where we, where we can be okay and everything's like we like it. That's where we're supposed to be. That's the victorious Christian. And God's asking us to walk through the cracks with other people. Yeah, let me show you a picture of the kids. We have it. Yeah. So I love this picture because the kids were, were not looking at it like it's a piece of art I can't touch. You know, the kids that like laid down, put their cars in there, put their hands in there. They really got into this piece of art. Um, I think about Jesus saying, come as a little child, right? Also, I think about John chapter 20 where Jesus says to Thomas, come touch Touch my crack. <laughs> touch, touch where I have been broken. We have to know our Jesus was broken. It's not that he's looking up from some other place down on us going, get your stuff together, will you? He did it. He walked in it with us. He broke for us. And he asks us to say, yes, you're broken too. Hmm. Thomas was invited in. Are you inviting others in? <laughs> Shibboleth was filled later. If you'll show the picture. Yeah. You'll see the scars running across the floor in here as well. This didn't have to happen. The tape could have totally recovered the, the, the uh, floor and it would have been fine uh, and not even like it had happened. But because of this installation piece being so powerful, they had decided to keep a scar. Huh. That's interesting. So if you go today to the Tate Modern, there's a scar in the floor. Hmm. Guys. The scar that was between us and God was filled by the love and mercy of Christ. The scar that is between you and your family member that you're, you're mad at right now has been filled by the love and mercy of Christ. The scar that is in our nation, it's running right down, right into Washington, is filled by the love and mercy of Christ. Let me read to you Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. And I like to think, I can walk right over that scar. It's not a chasm. I can walk right over it. Look what he can do. He brought me near when I didn't deserve to be near, when I've been so broken and so mean and hateful to him. When I've heard him so much, he filled it in anyway. 
guys, let me go to Jeremiah 29. I know that's the one everybody loves. We were talking about this before. It's always on graduation uh, cards and uh, plaques and things. I'm not sure I'll ever be able to do that with my kids now. But um, Jeremiah 29 is a letter that Jeremiah wrote to the people in exile. He was not able to go and bring the letter himself. He was back in Jerusalem in the rubble. But he sent a letter and, and in the letter, he, he, he keeps telling them, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will prosper. Pray for the peace. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Guys, have we been on our knees for Dallas? Not really. Um, I've heard a lot of people complaining lately about all the people coming to Dallas. It's getting so many people. And, and I hear people say, they're all from California. <laughs> uh, oh, well. More to love, huh? More to love. The gospel has no native country. <laughs> hmm? Eugene Peterson says it takes a whole world to understand a whole God. Maybe I need those Californians so that I can understand the Lord better. I need you so I know the Lord better. So Jeremiah 29 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future and then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart and I will be found by you and I will bring you back from captivity as you know the more I read scripture I see this love sick God I have such a good husband uh, Pastor David and Pastor George were bragging on him on Tuesday and I just it filled my heart because I thought, yeah, I knew. My God is such a good man. Yeah, I know he would come and find me. I have a God who says, I'm your husband. And I know you've done me wrong. But I'm, I want to be found by you. And why wouldn't we want to be married to a man like that? Hmm? Soren Kierkegaard told a story once, a retelling of God. And he said it was a story of a prince who had the great royal robes and crown and he fell in love with a, a maid who milked the cows and he saw her from afar and he saw how tender she was and how hard her life was and he watched and observed her for many many years and finally he decided I have to have her for my wife but he knew that if he went to her in his royal garb that she would she would say yes because he's the king what can she do he's the king he wanted her to know him. So he took off his royal garb and he became a milkmaid too. Until her mother was passing and he sat by her mother's bedside and he, he nursed her and he walked with her and he talked with her until she passed. And the milkmaid watched this kind of love and she thought, oh, if I could only be loved like that. And you know the rest of the story. It's kind of a fairy tale, isn't it? I like that kind of story. But I, I share it to you because we're living in a story like that. There's nothing he won't do for you. There's nothing he won't do for me. And there's nothing he won't do for our city, for the people that he loves. And you might say, but, but I don't want to go to people like them. I don't want to be around people like them. Oh, beloved, 
Don't you want to know the Lord's love, how deep it goes? There's only one way to do that, and that's going to people that aren't like you. Let me show you this painting. It's uh, done on Jeremiah 29. It's not with me anymore. It's in, um, in, anyway. And it's of a tree surrounded by a waterfall. And I had this image in my mind as I was processing through it of the water actually springing up. Behold, something springs up new in the desert. And guys, even Jeremiah talks about you're like a tree planted by streams of water. It will yield its leaf even when there's a drought. That doesn't come from you and me. That comes from God and us, from being the one who gives us life so that we are like the almond blossom to this culture. We bloom, and they go, wow, what a beautiful tree. And then we say, that's right. Let me tell you about the God who, who does that kind of thing with your life. Wouldn't you want to be a tree like that? Yeah. Let me share the other slide. <clears throat> Hope. <laughs> Hope is buying into what we believe. Buying into what we believe. Something Jeremiah was asked to do during the siege <laughs> of Jerusalem by uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And it lasted, uh, I believe it was 21 months. 21 months. I don't know if any of you have ever had I can't even fathom that. So he's asked to buy a field while the city is getting sieged. The army, the Babylonian army, is sitting out on that field somewhere that he's going to buy. Do you know how ridiculous that looks <laughs> to a culture that's saying, uh, I don't know if you know this, Jeremiah, but we're getting sieged right now. Why do you want to buy a land? And God says, because I'm going to restore you to the land. Sometimes it means staying in the rubble. I don't want to, Lord. I want the castle. It means having a persistent life of knowing God. You know, he gives us our, our Bible, and then we say things like, I, God is so silent. He doesn't speak to me. Well, open your Bible. And you can actually have it read to you now in all these awesome Darth Vader voices. And I mean, come on. Sometimes it means not looking like the winning team. They did a, I can't remember the name of the study, but they did a study over evangelical Christians' favorite movies that weren't Christian. And they were all to do with, with uh, movies that won in the end. Football movies. Nothing wrong with football. Um, movies where they were victorious in the end, where they, they won. They got it. They conquered. Interesting. Interesting. What about stories of sacrifice? What about staying when it's hard? And guys, when Jeremiah passes, he's taken by his own people to Egypt where he didn't want to go because they want to make an alliance to overthrow Nebuchadnezzar. And he doesn't want to go. And there's no more word of him. He goes into exile into Egypt and he keeps preaching the same thing he keeps preaching, which is God will restore you. God will restore. God will not their superpowers. But he dies never seeing that. And I don't mean to say that we aren't on a winning team. <laughs> we all know who, who's got us. Who's got us. And sometimes I think the reason he shakes us so hard is so that we realize who's got you, Don. And sometimes it means being with the outcasts and the people who the world sees as unimportant. Oh, Lord, please bring us more unimportant people. The world needs to, all of, all of us have got to have our statuses and how many followers, and I've got to have more followers who mean nothing. And I look at this and I think, why? Why do we have to have that? 
Why? Because it distracts us from what's really there. Loving real people in real time. As my husband always said, he always talks about that at our home. There's no conquering, only a story of grace. It's already been conquered. <laughs> when Jesus paid the price, when he rose out, out of the grave, it was done. He's conquered, he's taken the land, it's all done. Now, the devil likes us to think we're still living in some kind of warp zone where we don't have anything, when we have everything. Hope means, I believe, I am his. I want to be his. I want to be a worthy wife. Don't you? So let me end with this painting. This is called Beloved. Several times in the Bible, God uses the word beloved. If you remember Jesus' baptism, uh, God the Father speaks over him, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Henry Nouwen says that we must know we are the beloved before we can go and do what God called us to do. That's so true, isn't it? I must be known as his beloved. And I shared this with you before, but I, I want to share it with you again. And I have my daughter's permission to share this with you. This was painted during a really trying season over these past couple years. I know all of us have been in that trying season, so I'm not alone in that. But we were starting to see some cycles going on in our daughter. And, and Milo was just going through that with friends, with school, choices. And she was spiraling down. And we were on our knees asking, Lord, what do we do? We're taking her to therapy. We're getting her some medicine. Lord, what do we do? Help, help, Lord. And in the midst of that, I painted this. And I've always thought of it as Milo's painting. You might say to yourself, why? I don't get it. I don't understand it. It's a waterfall with a tree. Okay, what? who cares? Well, for me, the waterfall has always been a depiction of God's eternal, pouring down, ever faithful, never-ending love. And when I say love, I say capital L, love. He is the source the headwater of all love flows from him. And so there she is. She's right there by it. We're formed by being his beloved. If you'd only believe that you're loved, fully loved right now, just as you are in all your cracks, it would change you. You are God's beloved. So, story, little story. <laughs> sent this off to New York and um, it was uh, liked by a couple of people and um, one of the couples uh, who ended up, they were vying for it, one of the couples said, no, we, we want it. So they lived in South Carolina. So this painting was shipped to South Carolina. On its way down to South Carolina, it was crushed. It wasn't just crushed, it was punctured. Um, all the way through um, this entire section. And this couple spoke with me on the phone. The wife was crying. And of course, I, I thought, wow, Lord, this, really, this painting really spoke to them. This is their painting. I still believe it. And they said, what can we do? I said, well, the only thing you can do is bring it to a master restorer at this point. This is your painting. This is the one you want. I can't repaint it. I'm not going to recopy re it. And they said, all right. And so the gallery paid, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to even share how much it was, but I will, because I think it shows you how extravagant. The gallery paid $8,000 for a master restorer to restore this painting to what you see today. 8000 And that doesn't count the cost of it going back and forth. Okay? Guys, in the hands of the master restorer, I can't even tell where it, where it broke. I can't tell. Now, you might say, well, why do you have it, Don? <laughs> good, good question. So, in all of this, 
the couple was very uh, upset at the timing it was taking. It was taking so long, and I don't want it anymore. It's just reminding us of all these painful things, and when I, when I cried when I saw it, and I don't want to be reminded of it. Now if it's restored in my home, I'll think about that the whole time. And I thought to myself, that's the point. <laughs> so I paid to have it shipped back to me. And that's because I think the Lord wanted to tell me I've got her done. And he wanted to tell Myla, I've got you, sweet girl. And he wanted to tell you, I have got you. I have got you. You're my beloved. Whatever we go through the fire, I'm with you. Oh, beloved, you've been bought at a great price. You're dear. You're more dear than this. You're so costly. If you only knew your worth in him. Hmm? Yeah. And I think Jeremiah's entire life was given to that. So, all right, well, Pastor David, would you come please and pray for us? Wow, thanks for um, <laughs> making that so easy to just follow you, my goodness. Would you help me thank Dawn for sharing this morning? Two questions she asked us to think about. What is God allowed to be broken so that he alone can put it back together? What scars or cracks are you willing to show so that God's grace can be known. Jeremiah was a prophet of God. And whether you realize it or not, Dawn is not just an artist, she's a prophet. And prophets don't always help us see the future prophets speak truth in the present that help us see what's happening now what's happened then and what God intends to do in the future so Don, thank you for helping us to see thank you for listening to our podcast feel free to distribute this recording but please do not sell or alter it in any way. For more information about Arapahoe Road Baptist Church, please visit our website at arapahoeroad.org. Arapahoe Road Baptist Church is located at 2256 Arapahoe Road in Garland, Texas, with Sunday morning worship service at 1045 a.m. We hope you'll join us this week.